Welcome to Market Scale Hospitality. I'm Sean Heath, and today I'm going to have a conversation with Dr. Carl P. Bortgravink. He's the Interim Director for the School of Hospitality of Business, the Eli Broad College of Business at Michigan State University. Dr. B., how are you today? I'm doing great, Sean. How are you? I'm doing really well. You know, it's uh, summertime. It's just about time for all those vacations to start taking place. I'm really curious, are you able to actually take a vacation and get out of educator mode? Can you turn that off? Yeah, I, I learned to. My, my wife helped me. You know, it, we had been married a couple of years and she said, Carl, I used to think I was having a great time and I went to a restaurant until I realized everybody was doing everything wrong. <laughs> That's when I learned how to turn the switch off. There's so many different aspects of the concept of hospitality. What really drew you to it in the first place? Yeah, well, early early on, I always enjoyed uh, food and cooking and, and making dishes. And in fact, my first full-time uh, summer job, I got as 14 years old. I worked in a, in a kitchen, in a large classical kitchen kitchen back in the day and started to learn about food so that's where i that's where i uh, that's where i entered from i worked as a i went to culinary school eventually and i worked as a cook and a chef for, for a couple of years uh, do me a favor just give me a brief difference your definition of cook and chef because they're not the same thing no no they shouldn't be we, we use the terms interchangeably today to some extent in part because of the you know the food shows but a cook is somebody who actually well does the cooking as it may be be a very highly skilled person the chef is, uh, or technically was, the uh, uh, the manager or the chef de cuisine or the person who was in charge of the kitchen. Chef is a French term for boss, so chef de cuisine simply meant the chief of the kitchen. Oh, nice. Well, you know what, let's, I want to talk about something that you said, uh, that your first job, you weren't even out of, you weren't even in high school, you were in middle school, and you already had a job right. in the hospitality industry. Is that a trend that exists today? Would someone say, I don't know, a sophomore in high school, 16 years old, would they be less likely today to step into the hospitality industry? Well, they might at that stage. I think there's a, a significant pressure for people to carry on into high school and then go traditional high school, I should say, and then into college. And you know, while I'm in the college environment educating there, I, I, I think people should pause and say, is this really where I need to go right now? You know, I was very fortunate when I was in middle school. I was getting tired of school, and uh, I loved hospitality. I loved to cook, and I, uh, I turned to my parents and said, you know what? I don't want to go to high school. I'd like to go to culinary school. I expected them to say, well, Carl, let's talk about that when you're done with high school. But they said yes. So I went off into the trades and learned to become a, a cook. It took three years. This is back in Norway. Uh, you go to school, you sign up for the with a restaurant or a hotel restaurant, which is qualified, and you go back and, and get tested. So after three years... I was then a cook, referring back to our definitions earlier. Continuing on that, that trend of maybe a summer job, Yes, you know that with labor laws in the U.S., you're 16, you can get a summer job. And I know some of my daughter's friends are actually working in the food service industry. Would most restaurants fall into your definition of hospitality, or does there need to be a hotel B and B element for it to qualify as hospitality? No, hospitality, the way we see it, is a very broad term. You know, the food service does fall within hospitality, food services and restaurants and any type of uh, food business where they're selling you a product for retail or, or for local consumption, you know, uh, uh, would be hospitality lodging. You know, the hotels and the B&Bs, they, they're there as well. And we even reach into clubs and, you know, managed services. Uh, the hospitality is, is a broad construct. 
You know, you mentioned local um, service. Let's talk about the other side of that and let's talk about local sourcing because that seems to be a definite area of focus for an increasing percentage of diners or guests. They're really interested in where their food's actually coming from. Is that part of just an increase in the overall inquisitiveness of customers? Well, I think uh, it's, that's part of it. They're, they're, they want to know. They're, they, they love People love food more now than they used to. They, of course, they always ate, but they like to know where the food came from. They like to support their local environment or their local farmer, local business. So people are expecting you to source, uh, increasingly expecting you to source locally, or if not, to know exactly where the food came from. You know, what, what is the providence of that fish you have on my dish? Or, you know, where did you get your asparagus? And and if you got it across the world, people would like to know, and, and they would be uh, much more happy typically to support a, a local product and even willing to pay a little bit more. With that drive and that focus on local sourcing, as a general rule, aren't locally sourced farms a little smaller, which means that their output would be less as they become more and more popular how does the hospitality industry approach maybe not being able to get enough from their local source? Well, that, that's true. But they would work with the local source, and maybe they can become the uh, uh, the guarantor of their of taking their products. So I would work with this farmer, and I guarantee to take the foods that you produce, so he or she can have a reasonable livelihood, and I get the products that I'm looking for. I may have to work with a number of uh, different farmers, and and that's part of the excitement or the joy if you are a, a culinary craftsman, it's looking at the products in front of you and making it taste wonderful, even though there may be a slight variation from what you intended. If you're a large corporate chain, well, you may want uniformity because uh, then they, they're, they're producing two corporate recipes will be a different thing altogether. Is there a mechanic or a process in which a larger corporation could provide food quality that is the same level as a locally sourced individual farmer? Or is there a loss of efficiency that comes with the increase in scale that you just can't overcome? Uh, there is a, there will be a slight loss in efficiency possibly, but I, I think increasingly the larger corporations are recognizing the, the desire for a local product or recognizing the desire for something locally sourced, be it food or or beverage for that matter, and they will give uh, uh, the, the local manager or the local talent the opportunity to bring some of that in to augment their menu, so to speak. So maybe they have a corporate-defined menu uh, that also allow for the local. That would be a wise, wise thing to do. It would seem like corporations would have the resources necessary to be able to sustain several local farmers. How is that changing the approach of farmers and obviously they want increased business yeah but they don't want to give up their autonomy i would imagine if you ask a farmer the farmer is going to want to sell the product that they're making they want to make the best possible product and they want to make a product that the market is looking for currently if you look at some of our farmers are concerned given what's going on in terms of trade and trade sanctions there they may not have the market they anticipate so if they can get a guarantee that you're going to take their product if they will produce product that you or the company is looking for they'll be happy to do so this trend is actually bring bringing us a little bit back to the way it used to be we used to do things seasonally we would cook based upon what was in season we wouldn't have strawberries 12 months out of the year we wouldn't have 
certain pieces of produce or even salmon for that matter. If salmon would run when the salmon decided to run. And uh, he would do things seasonally. And uh, so we're getting back to that. And seasonally, uh, seasonal food tend to taste better because it's at its prime and it's also much more local. There's so many procedures that need to take place in order to yes. ship, for example, strawberries, to ship any other type of produce or fish or meat, certain protocols that have to be in place that change the the dynamic nature of that food just by default. There, It's almost impossible to get around those safeguards that you have to put in place in order to not only protect the quality of the food, but the safety of your consumers. Yes. That's very true. Let me just address that for a minute. Let's think, let's look at those strawberries. If you want to have a strawberry that hasn't deteriorated by the time it gets to the consumer, they typically will have to pick it before it's fully ripe. So the, the, it'll ripen on root or they may ripen it, uh, just before they put it on the shelves and, uh, and the flavor will be different. If you can find yourself a, uh, a strawberry that's picked locally, or that you'll go and pick yourself for that matter, you'll notice that the flavor profile is, is very different. It will maybe reminiscent of what you recall strawberries tasting like when you were young. When I'm on the road, I don't generally think about a delicious breakfast. I don't. Just grab some toast or, you know, maybe they have some scrambled eggs sitting out on a buffet. And, and my days seem to go fairly well when I'm on the road. I would bet my days would be fantastic if there was some really good, fresh, option for me at breakfast yeah do other people think like that i think i think they do many people are busy just like you're saying and go for that uh you know the, the easy eggs and toast and bacon maybe but others uh, uh increasingly are, are are seeking out that experience and will try to find a local restaurant that does things uh, in a fabulous way now is that an option that the hotel industry is struggling trying to implement is it a function of the price of the hotel? I would imagine there's a lot of factors that go into just what a hotel can offer for breakfast realistically. Uh, that's true. So they will, uh, uh, depending upon how much leeway they have, they may be working with a, a local vendor or, or, or local foods. And of course, at breakfast, people tend to fall into very traditional modes in terms of how they like to start their day. They could, uh, you know, they could source a, a locally roasted coffee or they could find some local eggs from a farmer that uh, treats their hens in a way that people would like them to treat them. Uh, and, uh, and I think, you know, or fresher eggs, you'll, you'll find a, a breakfast that tastes better. And so that's, that's a possibility, but you know, there's, there's some limits there, as you say. One thing that is changing all industries is the growth of the internet. Technically, it's a relatively new tool to be used not only by consumers in determining where they want to go, but also by employees determining where they want to work. And that availability of information, I feel, is directly causing an increase in the inquisitive nature of customers. They can look on Yelp. They can go to hotel's website and get a better idea of what to expect from the employee standpoint, they can get more information now before they ever step foot on a property. How does that increase in information change the retention, both from a customer side, but also from an employee side? 
That, that's an excellent question. You know, it does. Let's do the customer side first. If they're they're there, they're looking at what's taking place. They're having a meal. They make some sort of comment on, uh, you know, TripAdvisor or Yelp or wherever it might be. And and if the uh, establishment is responsive, and if there's an issue there, or or even maybe just praise there, but if they're responsive and engaging with the consumer, the consumer is much more likely to you know, return or uh, has some positive word of mouth with their friends or colleagues. Uh, from the employee's point of view, even before they uh, apply to work for you, they can look up your webpage, and they should, and figure out you know, who are you as a company, do you believe uh, in sustainability or do you not, what is your approach, and they can find a company that is more consistent with their own values, and uh, assuming that they have the luxury of looking for a bit, and uh, and find a company that they want to work with, and which again will uh, lead to greater retention and talent retention is is a critical issue, and uh, they can also if they do have uh, you know do social media well, they can have internal websites, they can communicate with their staff and and employees, and and have a, a build a camaraderie and, and community uh, using social media as well. I think it serves another purpose, and that is it allows individuals who may not really be comfortable with a face-to-face -face dialogue, maybe with a server or with a manager about something they disliked or something that they liked. Maybe they're a little more introverted, but there is a certain bravery that comes with social media. Is that a positive development for the restaurants because then they are now getting feedback whether it's positive or negative in a more real-time uh, window which allows them to immediately address things that they may not realize they need to address yeah, i think it's a it's a very positive uh, development if if they're paying attention if people are making commentary or people are using you know uh, one of those platforms and and they have people who are paying attention to it. They can listen to the feedback. They can modify in almost real time. You know, we can do something different tomorrow than today. Uh, and we can use it to train our staff. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful thing, but it, it does uh, require somebody to be paying attention. Feedback has always been a great thing. And, and, we, and we, it's desirable and wonderful so we can modify or realize that, well, this isn't the consumer we're looking to serve, possibly. I mean, you can't meet everybody's needs all the time. So we talk about local sourcing, yes. but sometimes it's important, it feels like, to have external sourcing when it comes to customs and traditions with regard to hospitality. What do you think about that? Oh, you're absolutely right. You know, hospitality is a customer-intensive and labor-intensive business, and we're dealing with people from all over the world. So our students and or you know, hospitality employees, generally speaking, need to have an understanding of different cultures and how they do things differently and, and what they'll be looking for. And, and not only to enrich themselves, but so that they can give the uh, consumer of their product, their their lodging or their food, the experience that they're looking for. And uh, so that's uh, that's been a wonderful thing that we're starting to recognize and appreciate the world more broadly. In fact, we would like all of our students to spend some time studying abroad. We think that's helpful for them in terms of their maturity, but also helpful for them in understanding that uh, the world is not always the way it it uh, it seems to be uh, from our narrow uh, perspectives. Uh, you know, from where we are located, the, they may do things differently on the west coast and east coast, 
they certainly may do things differently in Europe and Asia, and it's important to know that so we can respond. Tell me about a city that you've been to and your hospitality experience surprised you. The location that comes to mind, I don't remember the, the restaurant, but it was in Charleston, South Carolina. But what they did is they did something spectacularly well. When they were serving us, they were actually interested in who we were and what our interests were and what we liked and what we, what we were looking to you know, try, try something new and different, rather than trying to just sell the products or sell what they had uh, available on their menu. They were actually inquiring in terms of what we were looking for, which is everybody should do that, I guess, but not everybody does. And uh, as such, we had, you know, the perfect foods, we had the perfect drinks, uh, we were attended to, and we were happy in every way possible. And that seems like that should probably be the norm, but I get the sense that from your perspective, sadly, it's probably not. It's, no, it, it should be the norm. It's, that's why we're out there. We should love to serve and, and help, help people have the best possible time. Of course, while recognizing that we're running a business, but uh, often people feel busy or we do not, uh, you know, we don't uh, select the right person, whatever it might be. It's, if, if your experience is poor, wherever it is, in a hotel or a restaurant, it's not the, the direct employee's fault, it's management's fault. Because that particular employee or that situation may not have been prepared for success. Yes, they haven't been prepared for success. They didn't have the skill set they needed. They weren't selected right. Maybe they have a different attitude than they should have relative to work. And uh, so it's really uh, it's, it's up to management to make sure that the staff uh, are responding in ways that are meaningful and profitable, of course, for, you, for your business. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking the time today, and it has been an absolute pleasure. Today, I've had a conversation with Dr. Carl P. Bortgravink, the Interim Director for the School of Hospitality Business, the Eli Broad College of Business at Michigan State University. Carl, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really have enjoyed this. I enjoyed it too, Sean. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.